You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. One degree wedding, sort of like it's like a wide, like the roads are really wide. It's a really strange place. I was reading that there's less people in Detroit now than there were 100 years ago, and everything just feels sized incorrectly. Yeah. Like the streets are... Yeah. Four lanes. They're really big. They're really big. There's no one driving. Even lift I've had has been like a suburban too, by the way. Yeah, it's it's definitely that sort of. Even if it was filled with cars, this would be very like roomy and comfy for cars. It's like Carland. It's kind of this story that I've made up in my head. Carland. I mean, look. If you look at, for example, like the ramps going down around the hotel, they're like that's wide enough for like three cars. You know, so it's like you know you want to be comfy for the cars. It's an interesting place to have a climate conference. I'm sure that's going to come up. I think people are probably going to want to complain about that. Let's complain. Let's complain? It's a climate change conference after all. That's what we do. Are we supposed to hope or are we supposed to complain or both? Oh, we're supposed to actually work on removing carbon from the air. That's right. We're, we're part of the carbon removal contingent here at a TED Countdown in, in Detroit. I'm told it's Detroit and not Detroit, by the way. Detroit. Detroit. The Tito Jankowski of Air Miners here back again. Great to be here, Ross. What's up? <laughs> Great to be here. What are you doing? You're doing like, you've been taking meetings and stuff, but you haven't really told me what the meetings are about. I imagine they're big fancy pants, investors, and making stuff happen, handshakes, kissing babies. What are you doing? That's it. I was just at this great uh, brainstorming session this morning with Rethinking Removals. They're a new, uh, new nonprofit, I believe. Uh, and they're they're working on like okay like where where in carbon rule is uh, kind of what they do needed and they're they're working on mapping out kind of gaps and the opportunities in carbon rule so we're doing that this morning at a at a co working space Venture X in Detroit. <laughs> How'd it go? Did you guys solve carbon removal? Done. It's all taken care of now, Ross. <laughs> Are you able to share anything that happened there, or just that it happened? Oh, uh, it was a uh, it was like a workshop around. We did like a, a post it whiteboard exercise. Um, I don't know if I can say who's who's there and what happened. Mm. They didn't say you can't, but um, it was cool. It was like a bunch of people in who were really active in carbon removal, talking about like you know here's the here's the things that could accelerate carbon removal, or here's the things that that we're worried about. Uh, and it, it definitely kind of converged to a lot of the classic things, right? Like getting buyers on board, getting more suppliers. Um, but the, the takeaway was like, okay, so yeah, like the themes are the same as they've been for the last couple of years, but it's kind of the, the nuanced pieces of like the snapshot of, of today where it's like, okay, there's particular policies, there's particular uh, kind of supplier marketplace relationships that we want to work on. Um, so it's nice to... Nice. To, it was, I mean, gosh, talk about kicking off a conference and being like, okay, now I'm like fully up to speed on like the big picture of carbon removal. Are you energized? Are you hopeful for the future then? If, Ross, if anything, I'm energized by your eyes. You have really, you, you really have pretty <laughs> eyes, Ross. I mean, this, this is a really cool in-person thing. <laughs> I, okay. Um, I was just saying that in the early days, I was so tightly wound about doing podcasts only in person because like it's way better there's body language it's just so much better. and then the pandemic happened everything was remote for several years and not this is the first podcast i've done in person in probably three years wow and uh i'm telling you with compliments like that why am i not doing this all the time no one's saying that to me over zoom I get, I get the fidelity it. is too low 
Yes. Well, I got to sit with that for a second. Thanks, Tito. I got the biggest goofy <laughs> grin on my face. My, my God. Okay. Yeah. Um, what's happening here? I, I know there's a bunch of. I saw Julio, OG Carbon Wrangler himself, Julio Friedman speaking later. Who else? Is that Jonathan Foley. Yeah. So so far today, I've learned uh, Julio Friedman speaking. Actually, I think I knew that yesterday. Uh, Kelly Earhart from Vesta is speaking. Yeah, I, I kind of go to conferences and sort of like. You know, you absorb it as you sort of learn the schedule as you're there because people yeah. are like, I'm going to see this person. I'm like, okay. So Kelly is speaking. Uh, Hulu Friedman is speaking. Um, Al Gore. Al Gore is on the charts. On the charts. Dropping some beats. I tried to track him down. It's possible he'll be on. But I was just telling Tito, it's really hard to interview the quote unquote celebrity people because I feel like things that they say have already been polished to death by publicists and people who want to make sure that they, they get their messaging just right. I feel like that doesn't make for that great of radio or you have to do a lot of research to ask questions that are not questions like, so what's like your theory of social change about ESG? And they're like, okay, here's a 40 minute lecture yeah, that I've vomit. given a hundred times. Yeah. Boring. And it's hard to ask good questions there. Al Roker. I saw his I saw him on the thing. Yeah. I don't know. Weatherman. Imagine, I don't know if he's making a climate switch. I don't know what he's up to these days. I guess, I guess we'll find out. Uh, I saw John Sanchez in the lobby. Just yeah, I just had a sandwich sitting next to John Sanchez. There you go. Talking about his new nonprofit with Di Ellis oh, yeah. called Blanket on the Name. I think is, it starts with a C. Is he going to allow you to say that? Is that even public yet? Oh, shit. Is it? I John, we're going to check with you. Yeah, John. Yeah, John. Call him up. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to, but I guess he was running off. Cascade. 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 Waterfalls. Okay. That's cool. They're working on uh, open climate interventions. Um, it's a pretty good area. Like open systems. Yes. Open systems climate interventions. Yeah. Uh, John's been interested in that for a while, and I like the work that him and Di have been doing um, with their research papers that they've published or their, their blog posts. Um, yeah, that's a big open question. There's certainly room for innovation there. I mean, we you must have a really broad view of everything happening in carbon removal Ross. Really? I was just talking to somebody about that. I was like, you know, Ross cuts across so many different topics. It's actually really unique in carbon removal. I mean, people can certainly be like well-read in carbon removal, but you're out and you're like out and talking to everybody about kind of their like their narrative, their podcast, the story as you do, uh, as you do these. I guess so. I, um, I was talking to someone else who's going to be here. That I didn't even know I was going to be here. She, she saw that I was here. Uh, I don't think she would mind. I'll check with her, though. Wendy Owens from uh, Hexus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She messaged me on the TED app, yeah. apparently, uh, which I didn't even know was a thing. But everybody keeps saying, oh, the TED app is so good. I saw you on the list. And I'm like, okay, what is pretty that? Good. Yeah. She's saying that people still message her and reach out to her as a response to her being on reversing climate change in 2019. Wow. And we hear that a lot from from guests. Clearly, it's a uh, sticky. We even had guests recently say that they've been on lots of podcasts, but the responses that they get from reversing climate change and reaching out to guests was much higher than other podcasts that they've been on. But yeah, I think I have a pretty wide view. I I think in general I am more width than depth in a lot of ways, and I like making weird connections, and that's entertaining for me. That's is great. it valuable to everyone? I don't know. We're lucky to have you. That's uh, it's it's. You know, if you, if you start looking across the space, like there's very few people that are really kind of cutting specifically across like a lot of different areas. So I get I get wide, um, but it's like um, it's wide, but a different 
uh, facet of it, right? In the sense, like you're, you're talking one-on-one with a very wide range of people. I mean, I spend most of my time talking to startup founders, right? So like I've had like hundreds of conversations with the person starting the company. Um, and you've had like lot, many, many hundreds of conversations with people kind of from uh, around the whole carbon removal world. Um, it's really, it's really an asset to the, to the industry, especially as things continue to continue to grow. Podcast is an asset. My eyes are an asset. <laughs> Go on. Oh yes, yeah, this is really this is like <laughs> who's interviewing who? As we stare into Canada high above so that's, Detroit. That's Canada. Yeah, right. That up. bridge. The bridge. That's the Ambassador Bridge. Yeah, and then right below us is a tunnel. Can I open this window? Okay. Yeah, actually, I took the tunnel years ago to catch a train from Windsor up to Toronto, and it was one of the most intense border crossings I've ever had. The Canadian, I was like a just out of college, only had a backpack. They were so suspicious of me, wanted to check everything, get addresses of everyone I knew in Canada. I was like, oh, do you, do you just say that you don't want me? Wow. Just tell me you don't wow. want me. Wow. Talk about random sampling, perhaps. Yeah. I think I, uh, a young guy with not a lot of luggage with plans that seemed somewhat indeterminate. Wow. And I ended up hitchhiking from Montreal into Vermont. So they, they were right. They, they knew uh, that my plans wow. were not nearly as fixed as they might like. Wow, they really they really pegged it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever. It was a fun trip. Uh, so long ago, so so long ago. But yeah, it's the only time I've been here before, and it also struck me as being a very overbuilt, weird. The infrastructure just seems off. I was thinking about that because, like, so I don't know when Detroit was built primarily. Do you know when it was like? When did all these skyscrapers go up? It's I don't know. So like, so turn of the century is Henry Ford assembly line. Yeah. Fordism, Taylorism, wow. Model T. That's all happening. I think in the getting started definitely like Edwardian, but they don't say that for American history. That's just British history. Pre war, pre World War One, <laughs> turn of the century, American history. And then I think it just grew from there. Huh. So I imagine it was probably like yeah, hundred and twenty years is probably when it started to take off. Definitely has a car, a car feel like I was saying. Like I've been to, you know, Paris and yeah. Zurich and New York and none of those seem like they're alleys or the alleys are always kind of like they're for people to cram themselves into and like you know here it's like every alley is like a you can fit a car back there I know if you go to lower Manhattan or even if you go to places like the West Village too or you're like Bleecker and McDougal and you're just like this is made for a smaller town yeah a, a pedestrian town yes cobblestone this Detroit does not seem like a pedestrian place at all yeah I'm from mostly from Phoenix and it does have kind of a Phoenician vibe to it. Huh. When was Phoenix kind of built up? I think it, it was a post-war city. Huh. I think like after World War II, I think it's when it really... Are you like out. a historian? Like I, I'm asking all these questions. I have no... If anybody asks me about any city I've been, when was San Francisco built? I'd be like, 1792. <laughs> <laughs> Emperor Norton. In the 1890s. Yeah, I, uh, I have a history degree. But there you go. There, there I go. History and philosophy, which should make sense. I didn't earn a philosophy degree. I just took, did some graduate coursework in philosophy. But, uh, yeah, wow. uh, I just know that. I imagine Detroit probably made a bunch of tanks and, like, deuce and a half trucks in World War II. Huh, and probably, wow. probably after World War II, it switched over to civilian goods, consumer goods, I Interesting. suppose. But I don't know. Motown. So clearly stuff is happening here through, this, through the 50s and 60s. Wow. I don't know. I'd like to learn learn more, but uh, I wish I had more to say about Detroit. Detroit. But right now. <laughs> yeah. So carbon removal, what's going to happen here? Uh, I feel like there is there is a strong cohort, I've noticed. The conference overall seems kind of decarbonization, 
kind of in that like there's a lot of like environmental justice and stuff happening in Detroit vibe too. I don't know if you have any impressions on what's happening here now. On Ted Countdown on on climate, um, I think in terms of timeline, the sense of like I've been saying we've got we've got six more of these until 2030. Similar thing I said at Carbon Unbound in New York, um, but just when you think about like the cadence of yearly, you know these yearly things, it's like hey, like yeah, this is this is our chance to get together and make some deals, make some decisions, do some things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do in person i definitely find myself more responsive to you in person on the podcast i think in zoom i have a bit of like a hold hold a second to make sure the person's done talking um here somehow there's just a lot more data flowing back and forth so it's just kind of like you just i mean interrupting is a different thing than it is on on zoom i feel much so i'm gonna interrupt you now <laughs> there you go and, then... and again and now and now yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel surprisingly loose about this. I, I'm wondering, is this going to be great radio, or is this when people do? We should start a podcast, and they listen back. They're like, "Okay, these yep, are just two yep. two buds goofing around in a room." Out. But I think it does feel better than Zoom. What was I scared of? I used to prefer this so strongly, and I was such a resistor. And but I think this is the way to do it. Why don't I do some some more of these? Or maybe we just like to banter. Yeah, this, this is probably this a, is a possibly right. a false positive. Too, yes, though. yes. Just, what do What do you want to talk about? I want to hear about what you're doing here. Like cool. you're clearly, clearly taking meetings. Air Miners has changed since like last time we had you on. You were just starting to talk about uh, the fund that you had raised. Um, you're changing the way Air Miners is no longer just a community. Are you allowed to talk about stuff like that, or is it? Yeah. Yeah. When's this going out? Um, when would you like it to go out? Well, let's send it out whenever it's ready. Because I just realized we're good. We have all the all our other things out. We have our press releases going on on Wednesday, um, which is tomorrow. I've been told. Oh. So. Yeah, we're good. Wow. Okay. What, what's the press release going to say? I guess this will come out after that. So, you know, we've been looking at this thing for a long time in the sense of that there's this capital gap for early stage startup companies. Mm-hmm. We've had 95 freaking startups go through Airwinner's Launchpad. Man, that's it, such an illustrious list, too. It's impressive. In two years, right? It really speaks wow. to like it's go time for carbon removal. Yeah. And 95 teams come through. They've raised $90 million of venture wow. capital and grants. Isn't that crazy? Like, Super go cool. carbon removal, <laughs> go air miners, go 95 startup companies. Um, and we just kept seeing this, like, you know, as these companies are getting funded, you know, obviously the majority of funding goes to like a very few companies. Um, but there's, you know, when you're starting a new concept, there's a, there's a gap of, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars. And we want to figure out how do we fill that gap? Um, and so what we're announcing is the Air Miners Kiloton Fund. So specifically what we're doing is we are buying carbon removal credits from early stage companies instead of equity. But it's basically a way of uh, investing money into a company uh, as they as they start to get going. So you're going to be their first customers, and then are you recouping by selling those credits later? Yep, that's the idea. We were buying the credits now, and we'll sell them. Uh, we'll sell them later. Does anyone else do it like that? Not yet. To me, it definitely the the. the this model seems inevitable in carbon rule in that sense. The idea that you would be able to finance your company based on your future product sales just seems like this is how it's going to happen. Uh, Air miners is doing it because because we're in a good position to, especially at these very early stages of a company, to, to to be there for it. But it has that feeling of inevitability where it's just like, yeah, like all these companies are making the same product, carbon removal credits. There's got to be some way to finance them. 
um, rather than equity sales or rather than offtake agreements, which are which are a very powerful market signal, but they're not actually cash today. Um, and so, you know, again, working with 95 companies, we just saw this capital gap and we said, well, let's, how can we solve this or how can we create a solution for this? And that's what this kiloton fund is, um, which is a, a test for, it's a test pilot for the, for the megaton fund. So the numbers, you know, the, the words kind of tell you. A little bit about about where this is. The next one is maybe be an order of magnitude bigger, <laughs> or much more. Yeah, you can speculate on what that name means. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Offtake agreements. We've we've referenced them on the show before, but might be useful to listeners to have that refreshed here. What what signifies an offtake agreement? Offtake agreement is uh, fundamentally it's hey, if you deliver carbon credits or when you deliver carbon credits, we'll be here to buy them at this particular price. Um, so Frontier is well known for its off-take agreements. It also does pre-purchase agreements, which are which are different. Um, and sometimes those two things get mixed together. But um, off-take agreements are a promise to pay in the future upon delivery. And you've chosen to do something closer to the pre-purchase model. Why? So closing the funding gap in carbon rule was, was the, was the, is, the, is the problem. So that's, that's what we ultimately looked at. How do we build a solution to that? And so every solution that we looked at always had to be, how do we get cash to startup companies today? And so that's, that kind of narrowed in our, uh, our scope of like, that's the problem. So therefore the solution needs to be cash today. So you're saying that these offtake agreements are structured settlements, but you need cash now. You ever see those commercials on daytime? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, you have a structured settlement, but need cash. And I, was like, I said it was such deadpan seriousness. That yes, you didn't, say it 10 times fast. That'll be the radio commercial. You didn't, wa- you didn't like stay home sick from school and watch bad TV? I'm sure I did. Okay. Yeah. Just young Howley Tito. Yeah, that's it. Growing up. That's it. Didn't have a TV at those times, but um, mm. I was more of a reading books, and I don't think. Law ads made themselves into books. That's it. So okay, so the companies that have already passed through though, are they are they being considered for these uh this fund? Or is it like companies that are now going through Launchpad and how's it how's it work? Yeah, we're keeping it separate in the sense that uh, you know, we're not only buying from companies that have gone through the Launchpad accelerator. Um so we're open to buying to from any startup company uh that's working on removing carbon from the sky uh, can can apply for this program. We're going to be announcing more of the details uh, in a couple weeks. How are you going to sell them and when? So we're aiming to, uh, in a sense, we want to keep it really simple, right? We're getting these credits so that we can sell them to buyers in the future um, without um, having to do too much on the like, market making side and so you know open to buyers we're, we're putting out the press release buyers who want to uh buy tons from us um can email us at tons dot tons at airminers.org <laughs> um but yeah that's i mean we're, we're in terms of the sales side of it i think we need to be we need to be good at it um but really like the the part where we're really well positioned to to work with startup companies is, is more on the uh, on the startup side, obviously. It seems like it's something that you're doing in part of a full suite of services. Like these companies could potentially 
uh, partner with some of the other resellers or marketplaces within carbon removal, but they're not going to get the mentorship and the connections and the sort of value adds that Air Miners is known for. That's it. Yeah, we want to help get you plugged into the whole the whole ecosystem. Actually, Stacy from Shopify is on the on the press release saying what a swell what a swell thing this is. She says, gee golly, this is swell. Has she been on this? <laughs> uh, has Stacy been on this? I don't think so. You got to get her. She's like totally. Yeah. She's really good. No, she is good. We should say, Stacy, we're coming for you, as Christoph used to say. That that um, sound I made that was kind of like a judo chop, kind of like right to the point, really clear. Oh, she's got a great background and, and just like, anyway, she'll, she'll come and tell her story. Her story and Wow. Had, it's happening. Had, I never had someone give a note to the audience for how to interpret their <laughs> their gesticulation. I'm used to Zoom. I live on Zoom these days. So. You live on Zoom. Yeah, it feels better, doesn't it? I uh, prefer this this human interaction. You remember when the pandemic started and everyone said, "In the future, it's going to be nothing but Zoom. We're all going to do whatever and be far away." Yeah, I'm actually I'm pretty sold on Zoom. I mean, for one, on Zoom, I wouldn't have to explain my. My hand gestures, but you still would because no one's watching the video. Like, who are you? Still, they're still only listening. Oh, huh? Yeah, this is this is fallacious thinking. It's only you're only allowed to listen. <laughs> you're only allowed to listen. Blind yourself with a Nori podcast. He does judo chops and other <laughs> pearls of wisdom. Okay, what were you saying? That was actually probably important. In terms of in terms of buyers, mm-hmm. um, they're able to come in and to get in conversation with their miners about what we're buying and and how we're looking at selling it who's gonna do that do you know yet in terms of buyers i know who's gonna like who on your team is going to be be selling these and making these deals yeah so it's the three of us jason adina and i um i'm the one kind of leading the the fun side uh, but ultimately setting up the application process interviewing teams we're gonna use a lot of what we learned from interviewing we've interviewed hundreds of teams we've had 800 applications for our Launchpad accelerator to date, maybe it's nine hundred. It's just like it's an incredible amount of people that have come in and said, "Hey, I've got something, and I and I I need your help," um, or "Can you help us?" And and some of them were like, "Yeah, you know, we can't we can't help you," um, but the ones that we accept, they're like, "Okay, they, they they meet the criteria that we set, and we believe that we can we can expedite their journey." How are you delivering compliments to me about being uh, someone with a very wide view of carbon removal? I don't think I've spoken to nine hundred companies. 800 or 900 companies that's probably as wide as it gets it says it's it's very 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 wide in in like carbon rule startup world um just doesn't extend to beyond that in terms of policy in terms of you know other other stuff but yeah startups like we've talked to them like jason and i have probably individually talked to more startups than well anyone on earth besides the other two uh it's pretty pretty wild yeah, and it just gives wow. you so much in terms of just like being able to just see where somebody's at and just, yeah, understand what, what is it that they, what's their goal, what's their plan to get there, and where are they stuck? That's like, that's the three questions. They're not like mystery questions. That's what we ask you in the, in the application and in the interview. Um, and it just, it really does give a sense of um, where somebody's at. What's your goal? What's your plan for getting there? And where are you stuck? Everybody's stuck somewhere, right? If you say, I'm not stuck anywhere, it's like, well, why are you here? Um, <laughs> I'm stuck somewhere, you know? I'm stuck in Detroit. <laughs> hey. Um, wow. 
Uh, I mean, the easy podcasting move here is to ask you those questions, but maybe I'll come back. Oh, yeah, go for it. Actually, I wanted to ask you, given given that you are seeing things at such great volumes, what trends are you seeing that maybe are not currently the mainstream wisdom within carbon removal? Because we all have our, yeah. our, our path dependencies here. Let's, let's break us out of one The of beauty of talking to startups, which basically there's nothing such as a startup, but there is like the beauty of talking to a person or, or two people or three people that say they're starting a company is you get this just really clean snapshot of like one person's view and their plan for what they're going to do about it that's one of the things i love about working with these early companies is you get this you get this snapshot um also you get that from talking with students too students seem to have like a they're not trying to paint too much of like a complete narrative they're just kind of like boom here's what we're doing um one of the things that came up was um this isn't a business idea but you talked about like what are the bigger concepts i'm i'm now curious about like are we are we categorizing carbon rule companies in a way that's effective towards accelerating what ha- what's needed and what where the gaps are? So, for example, um, or at least if you look back, like traditionally, we categorize companies by how the carbon is captured. So we capture its direct air capture, its soil, its trees, its enhanced rock weathering, its ocean-based carbon removal. So many of those like really come with this thick layer of capture. And if you think about the capture step, it's like, I don't know, it's a couple seconds, it's, you know, a month, right? Like Climeworks, when they capture carbon, you know, I I don't know, they sit on it for a couple hours or a a couple days or something. But then ultimately, like it comes down to storage. Um, And so I talked with a group of um, students at, uh, I think they're students. Gosh, I thought they were doing like a student internship. Maybe I got that wrong. Um, but they were working on kind of different questions in carbon rule. And they were like, what do you think about categorizing things like this? And I was like, that's super brilliant. It's, their one was um, categorizing based on verification method. It's like, what if you reorganized all carbon rule classifications by what is the verification method of this removal? Um, anyway, you asked like, a, you know, what's a, a hot topic in carbon removal that's or like an emerging, emerging topic in carbon removal? Yeah, um, I, just want, I want you to, I mean, I like that topic too, but break break one of these conventional nuggets that everyone has taken for granted at this point and that maybe no longer holds true. Yep. I know it's kind of a tough question, but do you have one like that? Oh, well, that's what I just said, right? Isn't it? Oh, it's, they, oh, it's a recategorize based on... Yeah, recategorize based on verification method yeah. or storage method rather than capture method. Hmm. Um, another is... Gosh, this is another uh, great insight. This one was from a startup founder. They came in and... Um, they just happened to say a phrase that was like, um, and obviously since Climeworks is an integrator, da, da da da, and like it just for me I was like oh, I'd always thought of Climeworks as really like this, you know, startup that had some kind of like really core technology they were building a company around. And at this stage, I mean, you go, I, I got to visit Climeworks in um, in Zurich, and it's like whoa, they're really pulling together. They're like really at the integrator layer where they're pulling together all these just. The whole the whole planet to to build these director capture systems. I'm interested to know what it's like for them spiritually. I guess is the the word I'm looking for. Given that they're DAC 1.0 and they have all these DAC 2.0 people coming around saying DAC 1.0, so inefficient, not nearly as modular as we need. Like, 
<laughs> you just nodding. No yeah. Chop, just nodding. yeah. Yeah. Well, I get it. I mean, it's like, yeah, like that's, those are all great questions and discussions to have. Um, it's like, yeah, like what ultimately it's about how to remove billions of tons of carbon from the air. Um, is cost the only variable is what is the value of modularity? Um, what, what does modularity even mean? Right? Like if you have a shipping and shipping container size unit, is that small enough? Um, do you need like a desktop based system? Sampa took the iron and told me that um, modularity could be, I don't want to misquote you, Sampa, but could literally be as big as an industrial facility. It, has, it almost does not correlate to size. Modular does not have to be a yep. window DAC unit. Yeah, so maybe modular is a word we dig more into it being like, okay, what do you mean by modular? Like, how much does this thing weigh? You sound or so something? smart asking a question like that. Yeah, wow. Yeah. We really need to get closer to what modularity actually means yeah. here. What about like these categorization questions? Uh, one of the big gauche dichotomies that people don't like anymore, nature-based and engineered, that's pretty far out. I almost never hear anyone talk like that anymore. Oh, I hear that often in the sense of like uh, kind of people on uh, who, are, who are maybe newer to carbon removal. Mm. But then when you start to listen, it does get used often. Oh. Nature-based systems, engineering-based systems. I've just... For what it's worth, I have found those terms less useful than durability, permanence, cost, those sorts of things. Do you think that carbon removal should include less permanent types of carbon storage? Or do you think there, that only permanent carbon removal should be qua carbon removal? So permanent... Okay, so here's another thing. Is like This is from some emails recently I've exchanged. Um sounds so fancy <laughs> i'm on my phone um no but on like toilet so yeah, exactly <laughs> an issue with permanence and permanent is like permanent is a binary thing something is permanent or not permanent True. any yeah. binary words in carbon removal are likely less effective than uh kind of more uh full spectrum kind of yeah. variables so permanence is a nice one because it's like, well, you know, let's talk about the permanence of something. But the issue is, and this is a radio test kind of thing, permanence and permanent, are, they sound the same freaking thing. So I've been using durable. Durable and durability don't have that same, like, kind of, they're easier to hear and, and they kind of don't imply so much of, like, a black and white kind of thing. It's more of a spectrum. You know, what's the durability? It doesn't answer the question you're actually asking, but, um, yeah. I mean, the way that I've heard it put, the difference between durability and permanence is that durability also takes reversal risk into account, where permanence, something could be permanent if it is not reversed. Wow. But durability also has this, like, uh, is it long-lasting and unlikely to be reversed? Huh. Interesting. But then again, there's no dictionary definition to the, for this either, and so I hear people yep. use these terms. Maybe they're using it incorrectly. I probably use them incorrectly at various points, too. Or, um, or maybe it's less of a distinction than it needs to be. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, did first, I, I didn't know about the difference between durability and permanence in that sense, but there's a kind of a, another, yeah. another layer just, to it. Just things that people made up and wrote on the internet. And yeah. Kind of, or maybe it came out in a scientific paper. I don't even know. That's it. I mean, look, going back to the kiloton fund, like one of the beauties of it is we have the fund. We've raised a quarter million dollars to go out and make these purchases. And like having money and going out to make purchases, it really does kind of force like, okay, this is this is a real 
you know, this is a real conversation. This is a real discussion. Um, some of the other kind of more philosophical aspects of carbon rule. I mean, one of the, one of the benefits of again having an accelerator program working with ninety five startup companies, you really get into okay, what is your actual problem? Like, what's your problem this week? Like, what's the thing that you're stuck on this week? Um, and it's not like what are things that you might be stuck on. It's like you get really into like. Are you stuck on this? And if anybody's there out there is like really struggling with durability versus permanence or like these other terms, I'd love to hear from you. Um, Tito at airminus.org. Um, yeah, just again, like when you're when you're out doing things, you kind of is, um, I don't know, a lot of stuff does kind of fall on the priority list in terms of like, yeah, like it is good to get clear on the language you use and like is anybody actually like blocked by this right now maybe um but otherwise maybe not and that was one of the things that nori one of the best criticisms of levy against us has been that we've always been too far in the future where we were solving problems that were several years ahead of schedule which when the market catches up with us like look out i think that's going to be a time so now we've had to go back and look for some of these intermediate steps of what's actually blocking the industry right now. That's a good question to anchor to. Yeah, yeah, it is. Solving things or like looking at what's actually blocked right now is it really does have a way of just, it clears out, a, like there are a lot of possible problems that carbon removal will face. Yeah. Infinite possible problems. Um, whereas if you look at what problems are right now, it just it just has a way of like, it cuts through a lot of stuff to just get down to like, okay, what's the thing actually on your mind right now? Like no judgment, like what is actually on your mind? It really does just kind of like, okay, it gets, it gets, it gets to it. All right. Well, physician heal thyself. <laughs> what's, what's blocking you, Tito? What's blocking me at this, at this moment? Um, I am, what's blocking me? Um, thing I can't mention on the show but that's like a, let me think about other things that are blocking me um, well we're making this announcement tomorrow Wednesday um, and so by the time you hear this this will be already out um, and we have a sign up for people to get connected to the kiloton fund you can go to airmoners.org slash kiloton um, and what's blocking it as of now, well, since we haven't announced this, we have zero people that have signed up. Um, <laughs> but once this goes live, I uh, would love to connect to uh, people who are interested in selling uh, selling carbon rule credits to this new fund. Do they have to be a certain size or age? That's part of what making it real is, is like, okay, let's, let's go and figure that out. Um, in terms of our requirements, not really. I think it's the, the, the deal and discount that we're, we're going to be sharing more about is going to be most appealing to like early stage companies. Hmm. When are you looking to sell these and to start having your own revenue? That's going to be a couple years down the road. Um, and it's going to depend on, on what we buy specifically, but we're not looking to, um, we're not going to be selling carbon immediately. Are you, wrap my head around how to ask this question are you anticipating prices for carbon removal are generally generally going to trend upwards and thus there will be an ability to get that difference that delta is going to be captured by you and Zama. by you guys we're not i'm not planning on this and we haven't modeled that like the so much that the price changes rapidly i think bloomberg uh 
Bloomberg has a nice chart that's like prices are going to peak around 2030, 2032, and then fall. So they're going to peak around $225, um, 2032, and then they're going to descend to $100 by 2050. So I'm a fan of that model in the sense that it says, you know, prices are going to go up uh, through 2030. And then in a sense that there's just like a massive uh, supply crunch. And then after that, there'll be enough supply that we can start to work our way down the uh, price curve. I'm really curious. We should probably do an entire show about this, but about how uh, offsetting claims are changing in a post-Delta lawsuit world. Have you tracked that at all? Delta lawsuit? Yeah, Delta Airlines oh. got sued for false representation of their ESG, mostly for using not-so-good offsets. And I think that's probably going to be a boon. It, it, will either, it will either be a boon for carbon removal or companies are just going to change the way they characterize cheap things as being like climate positive, but no longer go for neutral or objective claims. They'll be like wiggly or both. Like both of those things could happen. I think it'll be bifurcated probably. I don't know if you thought about it, but it sounds like you just, I just dropped it on you. <laughs> like Tom and Specula Jerry. Speculate on this thing Tom that you haven't Jerry. heard about until oh, right this now. Is the, the, I mean, when I look, we absolutely need a working market for offsets. We absolutely need a working market for removals. Any issues faced by the removals market need to get fixed. Like we need a, uh, uh, an offtake or off offset market that people are willing to pay for. We need a removals market that people are willing to pay for. Um, I don't think it's you know, in the sense of like, is it just that people are going to switch from offsets to removals? I don't really, I was going to say, I don't really think that's going to happen. But what I'm more saying is we absolutely need a working off, off take offset. Darn it. Oh, we need an offset market and we absolutely need a uh, removals market. And yeah, there's some issues in the, offset market. Somebody needs to go get to work on those. Um, there's an opportunity there for somebody to build a working, uh, to, to, to raise the bar for offsets. Yeah, I'm wondering, are we gonna see carbon removals take off? Are we gonna see companies finally say, you know, we're actually trying to get to net zero and we're gonna buy these uh, several years in advance future vintage carbon removals that are very expensive, you know, at least an order of magnitude, sometimes several orders of magnitude more expensive than offsets they've bought previously. Is that going to happen beyond just the Microsofts and Shopify's of the world? I think that's a big question. That's a big question in carbon removal. Um, I, I always go back to like the inevitable, right? In the sense of getting to two degrees of warming scenarios, getting to one and a half degree of warming scenarios, requires massive amounts of decarbonization and also requires a trillion dollars per year, roughly, of carbon removal as a market. Um, who buys it? What the pathway looks like to that? Um, we get to discover that together. I'd like to, you know, more corporates to come online and um, be participating in these things in a way that makes sense to them. Um, for there to be a second generation of... Uh, more, more and more buyers joining programs like Frontier, new new things like Frontier popping up. Um, some buyers are going to want to go after that more catalytic bit where they're paying up front or they're kind of being part of the innovation story. Other buyers are going to say, look, we, you know, when you deliver the carbon, then we'll buy it. Great. They all have a role to play uh, in creating this um, 
or into into discovering this market. I think that's that discovering speaks more to the inevitability of of carbon removal than um, kind of like a let's let's see if it happens approach. Um, which just in in my model of carbon removal, it's that it is going to happen. It's a matter of it's a matter of our path to it versus like a you know is it going to happen or not. I think any if you really take a big like universal picture, I think if you if you look at any stable planetary system has some kind of economic system for balancing its atmosphere. Um, I know UFOs are in the news, so we can talk to them. But uh, yeah, I mean, just if, if, you, if you really look at any stable planetary system with an active civilization, they've got, for lack of a better word, a carbon market. What? <laughs> if you look at any planetary system they have a carbon market yeah if you like again if you just sort of come at carbon rule as from an inevitability standpoint oh, oh. rather than a like you know will there be more buyers inevitably there will be because that's like because creating a stable planet is it's a requirement they're not just like the borg and they have no individual consciousness but they all just work for the greater good and have solved the problem without money and markets and like may, maybe there's a way of doing that, and I bet in our language we would draw a circle around it and say that that's a market. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's actually like paradigm blind. You're just like, okay, that's <laughs> what that is. I think it's time for us to start going to the conference. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, thanks for hanging, Tito. It was fun. Good seeing you, Ross. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.